Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest. He's a two-time Dale Iwanoshko Award winner in the OUA. He's a first-team All-Star. He won Player of the Year, and he's a two-time OUA champion with Queen's University before going on to represent Canada with the National Excellence Program. Please welcome to the show, Zach Hutchison. Zach, thanks for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it. So excited. We got to get to a lot of stuff here. Obviously, you had a great university career. But uh, the one thing I want to settle for my my listeners here is obviously you're a Kingston guy and you went on to play for Queens. But I'm trying to look up some names. It's not that common. I don't think it is that common to be a Pegasus guy and then go to Queens, is it? Like there might be one every few years. So was that always a goal of you when you started playing volleyball to stay home and play for the local university? Yeah, I mean, right, right, from, right off the get go, I kind of um, I, I was, I've been watching Queens kind of ever since I was, you know, grade even before grade nine, before high school, I've always gone to games. Um, I, I went to the national championship at Queens House in 2012. Always kind of looked up to those guys, uh, especially as a young athlete. But yeah, you're right. There's not many times where uh, where uh, Pegasus alumni gets a chance to represent Q. So um, definitely very blessed to have that opportunity. And um, yeah, I was really excited when I got the, got the chance to talk to Brenda and potentially be recruited by Queens and stuff. It was a really good moment, a cool moment for me for sure. And at what age do you think you started taking volleyball really seriously? Because uh, I think of a lot of our listeners, if they recognize the Kingston area, like I think Regi does awesome every year in boys volleyball, but you're not a Regi guy either, right? So did you kind of fall in love through the club system or did you have a good school program as well? Uh, so no, I'm from Holy Cross. Yeah. So not part of the Regi program, but uh, definitely rivals of Regi for sure. I kind of started playing volleyball. So back way before volleyball, I was a big soccer guy. I played high level soccer kind of from you know 11 to age 16, 17. Um, I didn't really start taking volleyball seriously until kind of grade eight, grade nine. Um, and even then, wasn't that serious. We had a couple of championships. We won uh, with my elementary school in grade eight. Um, and then moving on to grade nine, I made the grade nine team. It was quite short in grade nine, though. Uh, started around five, six, five, seven in grade nine. So I wasn't really contributing much in volleyball. I kind of barely made the team. Liked the sport a lot, um, especially, like I said, watching Queens growing up. It was kind of like a goal of mine to play volleyball, but I was still more soccer focused at that point in time. And then, yeah, like kind of between grade nine and grade 10, grew to six foot two in one year. So I had a pretty big growth spurt. Started taking volleyball a lot more serious, um, worked on my vertical a little bit, some strength stuff. Um, and then kind of volleyball took over after that. So uh, grade 10 was when I started trying out for the club team in Kingston. So I was pretty late for, for club volleyball. That's a 16U. Um, tried out for the team. Didn't actually make the A team in my first year trying out. Um, I got cut from the A team. And then kind of halfway through the season or so, maybe just after the beginning of the season, I got brought up to the A team and then kind of flourished from there. So, yeah, I didn't really start taking volleyball seriously until around 16U. So a little bit late, but yeah, it was definitely took off after that. Nice. And I got to know when you're watching Queen so much, who was your guy? Were you a big Yoren Zeman fan or who did you enjoy watching the most? Uh, I, I really liked watching Yoren play when I was younger. Like I said, at Nationals 2012, he was, it was a beast. I remember uh, my story. Specifically, uh, just from the, the crowd, I hit all of his muskets buddies, but they uh, they were putting a bunch of Ks up on the back wall, just like strikeouts in baseball. Um, and I think I counted the one game, he had 25 Ks in the back wall of the arc. So uh, he, was, he was a beast, but I would say the guy I looked up to the most and kind of really wanted to resemble it in my play with Marcus Trent. Kind of like I started taking volleyball more serious after that kind of 2012 run that Green's had. Um, so like Yoram was gone at that point. Um, and I kind of, that's when Marcus kind of started taking over as like the big gun on Queens. And so I, I'd say he was the guy that I kind of wanted to look up to and resemble. And I got to play a few years with him, which was really cool too. 
Sweet. So I know it's revisionist history at this point, but uh, you got the call from Brendan. Obviously, you're excited to go to Queens and play for a great program. But was there anyone else who had your attention or that you were considering before you kind of signed on the dotted line to go be a Queens guy? No, not really, actually. I, I mean, for me personally, I was looking at Waterloo, McMaster, or Queens. I, I wasn't really explained in a good way of how to like talk to these coaches and how to reach out and when to reach out and stuff. So I didn't really get a chance to reach out to McMaster and Waterloo. My main focus at that point in time was Queens. But as an 18-year athlete, I was very under the radar. Um, I wasn't highly recruited at all. I mean, being in, in a small town like Kingston and our club typically, like in the past history, hasn't done super great. Um, we're pretty competitive in like the tier two, but in tier one, where all these university coaches are typically watching, we weren't really there. Um, so like you said, Rigi has a great program and then we have to filter in athletes through that, but there's, there's times when those athletes play basketball or any other sport. And then we don't necessarily get those guys on the club system. So it's kind of tough, but yeah, I would say I wasn't super heavily recruited. Um, Brenda definitely took a chance on me. I mean, I, I was still an okay player for sure. I, I definitely think I held my own in the club and stuff, but. Um, leading into Queens, I, I think she gave me a good chance, and I kind of just took it and ran with it. So you mentioned uh, Marcus Trents was there. Who were some other vets on the team when you kind of entered in your first year there that uh, maybe showed you the way, or, or maybe roughed you up a little bit and showed you what this league was all about? Like obviously Queens has been competitive for as long as I can remember. So who kind of stood out as like a first impression when you joined the squad? Um, honestly, I was really lucky. My first year, our whole starting lineup and you know upper year guys, we had a, a big cast and crew. Of fifth year players, fourth year players, extremely uh, talented veterans that kind of knew the way and like helped us kind of like bring brought us up as rookies kind of coming into the, to the Queens team and the league and stuff. Um, very accepting people. Uh, so specifically Mike Tomlinson. Uh, so he was the starting right side on our team that year. Mar- Marcus Trent. We had a transfer from uh, York, uh, Marco Dakic as a fifth year player. Uh, our two middles were both fifth year players, Tyler Sherborn and Scott Burnett. And then um, our setter was Jamie Wright, who actually was was a was a Pegasus alumni originally. Um, walked on to the Queens team in his first year, and kind of same deal. He kind of flourished and had a great career. So, um, all those guys definitely like brought me up and, and brought me under their wing. And uh, in our libero, Evo Dramoff, who was a great libero in the league, I think he won libero of the year a couple times. Um, came from Bulgaria. Um, all these guys just had such, such high standards for the way we train, the way we compete, um, and I think that taught me a lot about how to train as, a, as like a high level athlete. And I think that mindset change from club to, to university was something that I kind of took it, like I said, took it and ran with it. Um, and I just put, kind of put my head down and went to work with it. Um, I think my biggest improvement year as an athlete was definitely between my 18 new year and my first year, just because change of level is ball speed, everything's different. Right. So yeah, then those guys definitely paved the way for us for sure. And if you had to describe the culture of what makes Queens so special, because you mentioned all, all those names there, and I have so much respect for all the vets you just named, like Taylor or uh, Dylan Hunt and Cheerhorn and all those guys. But yeah. you mentioned guys get after each other too, right? So what's the communication or what's the style there? Like, are are guys chirping through the net? Are they getting on with you if you don't get, get after a ball? Like, I know respect stays in the room, especially with those names yeah. you just mentioned. But what was kind of the culture to keep the intensity? Because obviously, Brenda and the other coaches can drive that. But my understanding is the players have a pretty big hand in it too. Yeah, I mean, our, our culture is um, it's pretty unique at Queens. We, uh, we, like I said, we hold each other to very high standards, but we also uh, try and keep everything level-headed and calm and light um, at the same time. So and we, another thing, too, is we kind of have this understanding where when we're in practice, we're trying to make each other better. So if I tell someone, oh, you know, like this is this is what I saw, or some, maybe a coach tells someone this is what we saw, we need to change this, no one really takes it personally. Um, we're able to, to kind of keep a light-headed 
or a level-headed kind of light atmosphere. Meanwhile, also expecting a lot from each other. So when something isn't perfect, um, guys will tell you it's not, it's not there. It's not perfect. You need to have it there. Like that's like, for example, free ball passing, like something like that, that you can kind of just like let slip, let slide a little bit. If, if you have guys that are holding you accountable all the time saying like, no, that's not good enough. That wasn't high enough. That you might think it was high enough. You might think it was in a good spot, but if we can make that even more perfect, um, it's, it's great. And, and in terms of culture on the Queens team, like, um, I, I think it's some of the best culture I've ever been a part of. Um, I helped a little bit pave the way with that too, as I kind of grew up through the system at Queens and, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's just a great atmosphere. Um, everyone on the Queens team, we call it kind of like a brotherhood, right? So we, we all part of this brotherhood and we, we grow as, as a group and we're not, we're not, we're never going in the negative direction. As soon as that happens, we kind of bring that person up or whoever it is. And, go in the positive direction all the time. Um, I think that's something that when I've talked to other athletes through the programs, they said that it's very frustrating playing us because they just find that when we're playing, we're, we're so like energetic and happy and all the time, we're never getting down on each other. We're always like the next point moving on. Uh, I think that that wears teams down more than people think because they're trying to score on us, trying to score on us. And even if when we get scored on, we're still like, hey, we're fine. Like that's, you know, that's whatever that will wear teams down as well because they're like, wow, we can't even break these guys. Even if we do break them, we still can't break them, right? So I think it not only has a positive impact on our team, but on other teams, it, it kind of wears them down a bit too. Yeah, that's so cool to hear the the behind the curtain there of what's going on at Queens. And just looking at my notes here, some other things I wanted to talk about. Uh, did you know what the Dale Iwanosco Award was when you first won it? Like, were you just a big community guy and you wanted to help out and be involved? Or was this something you were aiming for as like, man, it'd be really cool to win that? Like, obviously you won it twice, but I was wondering what you were doing off the court to feel like you deserved it. Yeah, so I didn't, I, I really didn't know much about the award kind of, uh, growing up and, and I even before I won it, I hadn't really known much about it. I've I've been involved in the community in Kingston. I, I just like to give back. So I've been involved kind of heavily with coaching volleyball. Um, so I, I kind of started coaching club volleyball when I was in first year um, with Tom Ellison, who was another upper year guy on the team. Him and I kind of just matched really well right from the start. So we've been pretty, we've been best friends since I've been at the new program. He was two years older than me. So we've always kind of just had our little duo coach. We still coach to this day. Um, I just, I enjoy giving back. I know that as a young athlete, like having the opportunity to have great coaches and, and, and ex-athletes or even current athletes helping me out and teaching me stuff, it just sticks more in my head. And um, I think me being in the position that I'm in to have all this kind of knowledge and volleyball, learning from not only like one coach, I had Brenda and, now, and then I had Gabe as an athlete and I got to work with Dan Lewis in the NEP program. Uh, I got to work with Dave Preston and... Uh, um, James Gravel and all those, uh, Grant Wilson, all these different coaches I've been able to work with in my career. So I, I get a good, have a good um, level of experience in different aspects of the game. I think being, it's pretty cool being able to pass that knowledge along to the young athletes, especially uh, athletes that are aspiring to go to the next level, right? And you have an idea of what, what's required, what they need to get to, um, all that stuff. So I think I would say that the award was not in my head when I, before I had won it. I just like giving back. I like, um, like I said, I like pushing my knowledge on, on young athletes so that they can be the best, not only athlete they can be, but the per best person they can be. Um, and I think that goes a long way in support. 
Nice. And obviously that credits your time management with being uh, an engineering guy at Queens of varsity athlete and winning this award involved in the community. But uh, uh, a friend of the show, when I, I said it was, you were going to come on the show, uh, gave me a little bit of dirt and he honestly wants to know, how are you so good at gaming with everything else that you're up to? Like, he's like, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. Does this guy just not sleep? So I hear you're just a top tier gamer. So do you, any downtime you get, are you just hitting up the computer or the video games? Like, um, I would say I, I manage my time pretty well with, like kind of every aspect of my life um i i do get into some gaming sometimes and i uh i enjoy it it's something that i can pick up pretty quickly and just i don't know it's, it's pretty easy it's you know it's at home i'm, I'm home i have a, I have a dog as well so I'm, whenever i'm home with my dog he's always cuddling uh, I, I don't know i just think it's i just enjoy it and and i think that when you enjoy something it's pretty easy to lose track of time but i, I definitely a big part of my um, routine is sleep um for sure i'd say that getting the eight hours of sleep is the most important thing, not only in volleyball, but in life and just and being in high spirits and everything. So I definitely prioritize sleep first before anything else. And like I said, there's some nights when I come home and I've had a busy day and I'm just like, I need to go to bed. Um, but when I do find time and I find time to, to do other things too, I like to, I like to just like widen my knowledge in different areas of kind of everything, like whether that's gaming or I play a lot of golf too multiple sports, multiple, you know, school and, and knowledge and just everything. I just like to widen my knowledge in a lot of areas. Um, so whenever I can kind of throw an hour into something, I try and do it. Okay. But uh, I would say through the engineering program at Queens um, being so intense and then also with our volleyball schedule, how intense it can get. I learned time management right off the get-go. And I think that has helped me not procrastinate a lot. I kind of, whenever I have a second to do something, I just do it. I don't wait around. I don't, think about it. I just, I just do it. And I think that's a good way to think about time management, right? Like, so I, yeah, I would say, I don't know. I just, I just like to be busy, I guess, is the best way to put it. <laughs> nice. And I'm glad you mentioned earlier that you you kind of got caught up with the fans and, and the K's there for Yorin and everything else. But uh, you became a fan favorite there later in your years with the Afro stuff and fans having the cutouts and stuff. Like, was that your buddies or were you surprised when you saw that in the crowd? And I, I think uh, I reached out to Keaton and he mentioned there was like fear the fro signs or something like that going on in the Queen's gym. So how did you feel when you saw like the crowd kind of personalizing you and really supporting your game? Um, I love it. Uh, I, I don't focus on it too much during the game. I, I let it fuel my adrenaline and stuff during the games, but um, I really enjoy having people rooting for me. I think it's it's great having the community come out and support, and it makes us all play better, especially like look at moments in, in our gym where we've had the gym packed, say pack the arc, whatever, um, and you know, the OAA finals in my fourth year. Um, that kind of stuff just, just thrive, like just helps us thrive as athletes, and uh, it's really cool to see that there's I mean, I was once in that position, right? When I was a young athlete, like watching, like you said, watching Yorin and being like, wow, this guy's so awesome. And like just having be on the other end of it is really special too. Now, Keaton also mentioned, I have to ask you about uh, the first year you guys won OEA championships. A lot of people don't remember this, but you guys played a barn burner of a quarterfinal versus Guelph. And he told me to ask about the moment. It was either off a serve or it was a dig. Somebody like chest dug and you came out of nowhere with a pancake. And Keaton's like, a lot of people don't talk about that. That maybe saved our season. Do you remember those tight moments and how you performed? Like, oh, yeah. do you remember that exact moment I'm talking about in the I Guelph game? The exact moment. And I can pull it up on my highlight video on YouTube <laughs> if I want to. But um, yeah, it, so essentially that game, you're playing Guelph at home quarterfinal we knew it was riding on it and at that point in time the league was in the final four system where the team that was first in that division would host the final four um so we were first in the division in the east um we had taken down Guelph in the quarterfinals we would have been hosting final four cool moment 
I think going into that game, we had a great game plan for Rival. Um, we executed the game plan the first two sets. Uh, I can't remember the exact set scores, but they, it wasn't too close in the first two sets. We, uh, we took care of business. And then I think they adapted really well in the next two sets. And we kind of just like were sticking with the same game plan. We didn't really think they were going to adapt too much to it, but um, ended up going to five sets. And it was, uh, I think the final score ended up being 23-21 in the fifth set. And we had, I believe, seven match points and they had three match points. So the first match point they had, we had our middle out of nowhere, randomly solo commits with a 30 and gets a stuff block. No, it wasn't part of the game plan. It wasn't He just read the play and committed. His name is Malcolm Prentice. Um, and he got a stuff block. And then another match point they had, um, they set uh, a separation ball to their outside Zarco. And uh, Zane Grossinger, our setter at the time, ended up getting a stuff block at him. So two pretty big moments. And then on the third match point, which is the one that we're getting to here, um, they're one of their spin servers hit a pretty deep and kind of uh, off-speed spin serve. And it was probably going out. Uh, our libero, Lucas Kaufman, he kind of knew it was going out, tried to like dodge it. And he realized kind of too late that it was like, if I don't do something with this ball, it's going to hit me and I'm not going to go pass it. So he kind of just like stuck his chest out. It went in as an overpass. And their middle went to like bounce it on us and kind of flubbed it. And so at that moment, I was in, I was in six back. And I just remember being like, if I don't go for this ball, we're going to lose our season because there was match point for these guys. Um, and so and in my head, for some reason, when I was in that moment, I thought it was a pancake, but it was actually, I put my fist down on the ground and I did that on purpose because I thought there's no way this ref is going to call this ball down if I have a fist down in front of the ball instead of a, a flat hand. So I stuck out my hand with a, like a fist, my left hand too, and popped it up, which was just enough airtime for Zane to set, bump set the ball to Joel, who ended up tipping the ball over and scoring. And then next point we won the game on or the next couple points but that moment was wild i remember just being like how do we end up pulling that off with like i mean they had an overpass to win the game at the end of the day that's in, in this level of volleyball that's scoring 90 percent of the time right so um we just happened to be on that one 10 percent day that just worked out for us but it was it was a crazy moment i think back to that moment still to this day and think how do we end up winning the championship that year it's just crazy yeah, amazing. And take me one more step. Who was your semi? You guys obviously played Mac in the final, but who was the next yeah. round opponent? Uh, we played uh, U of T in the semi. Nice. Uh, so, so, so in that game, we actually were up 2 nothing as well. And it's kind of the story of that season. We ended up, I think we had 10 fifth setters that year, and we won eight of them, I believe. So we had uh, we had a lot of experience in those fifth set matches. So I think that definitely helped us in the playoffs for sure, because two of the three matches went to five sets. Um, and in, I felt like just in that fifth set against Guelph, we just kind of were like, we're not, we're not losing this. Like we're not giving up. We're not giving them any points. We just kind of stuck with the program, trust the process. We trusted each other so much in the court that we knew that even if something didn't go our way during the set, we were going to bounce back and kind of bring that next level. Um, but yeah, we played U of T in the semi. We were up to nothing and we had a, they had a, a 30, they ran a 30 on match point for us and our middle had committed kind of with the 30 and ended up just barely touching the net which the ball that they hit in the 30 was going out of bounds. So we ended up going to the fourth set. We ended up beating them in the fourth. Um, and then, yeah, I went on to play Mac in the final. That was, a, that was also a crazy game. 
Yeah, do you remember the lead-in of that Mac game? Because at that time, there was Mac guys graduating who would have won a championship every year. Like, I think they had won, like, six in a row as a team. So the Danny Damanico and Steve Marr era, they won every year. And then the guys that were, were left to play your year, they still had Richards and a bunch of talented guys and, and a couple of younger guys. Like, I think David Doty was finally there setting and everything. But for, for a team to be that successful that long, is that something that crept into the pregame notes or anything? Or you guys were just talking about, like, we don't care what they did last year or the last five years. We're playing this team this right now in our gym. Yeah, I think something that was unique about that year and kind of lead, like that's that was the year uh, that Gabe started coaching the team. Um, and I think something that was unique with that year was that we believed, we actually believed that we were the better team than them. We believed that we could beat them. I think in our league, a lot of the times, teams, and I could be wrong with this, but I think teams um, oftentimes put Master on a very high pedestal and they're a very talented team, don't get me wrong. Um, but I think that in order to beat a team, and this is just a mentality change that we've had, is that you need to believe you can be first. We played them in the final year before in my third year. And I think going into that match, we had the the idea, like you said, of like, oh, these guys are good. Like, I don't know if we can beat them. Like, we weren't too sure. We're like, oh, we already qualified for nationals. Like, all this stuff creeps into your head. And it's like, that doesn't give you a good setup to be successful, in my opinion. So I think the next year, learning from our previous year of the, the mindset we had, bringing it into the, the following year, we, we kind of were just like, that year, we were, I think we were 3-0 against Mac. Um, potentially in league play and exhibition and everything. Um, so we kind of went into that game being like super confident. We're in our home gym. Like we, we didn't even really think about that other stuff. We kind of didn't let it distract us. We were focused on our task and our task was you know, our game plan against Mac. And, uh, and we, we believed, we truly believed we could do that. We could take care of them. And I think that was a big part of our success that year. And what did that feel like for you, especially to be a guy who was, probably under recruited. Like you said, you, you didn't play for a top tier club. So like the, you didn't get the attention you probably deserve, but for you to come through, have a big year and to win it with guys who were also young in the program. Like I think Zane was starting, obviously Rudd was there, like guys who had come through the program and really earned every like point of playing time they got. Like, was that just a big confirmation? Like not for the boys that you guys continued this Queens tradition, but you did it your way. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I, like you said, everyone on that court, uh, especially a guy like Adam Bolzbach as well, who, who made the team as a walk on that year. Um, these guys are, like you said, they all earned it. Every single guy on the court that year has earned that position. We, and, and like I said, something that I mentioned before about our trust, we just had such a, a, a immense trust with that in our group that was on the court that we were, we were all going to get the job done, whether that was on the perception side of the game or on the attack side of the game. Um, we, there was never a moment I would say in the game and any game in those years that we truly were like, wow, we did not, we, we can't do this. Like we were always like next point. Or if someone shanks pass, we're like, yeah, you're fine. So it doesn't matter. Like, next point, you're gonna say, we know you're going to pass the next ball great. So we're not going to be concerned about it. We're not going to get flustered over it. I think that mindset of being so confident in our in ourselves and in our teammates about how about our skill level and about our trust with each other was was definitely a driving factor in our success for sure. So that year wraps up. Obviously, you guys take it down. What was next year's preseason like? Are you guys thinking like we can repeat? Like we have a really good team? Are you looking around the rest of the league saying like who's coming? Like what was kind of the mood there? And not only a repeat year, but also Gabe's second year where maybe he's like a little bit more confident and a little bit more comfortable in his coaching role, right? Yeah, I think um, we definitely were. We were really happy. We were really confident, really happy with where our team was at. We had uh, I don't know if we had one guy maybe graduate, Dylan Hunt. Um, we had a great recruiting class come in. Um, and I think that year we were more focused on like, especially at the start, just like 
developing and getting better. And I, obviously we had goals. We, we always set goals at the start of the year of, of winning championship. And I mean, like getting a national championship as well. Like that's always our goal. We're always trying to strive to be the best. But I think we took it out kind of like a, as like a process. We, we, need, we knew we, we couldn't get to that point at, right from the get-go. So I think our, our mentality and our philosophy throughout the last few years, especially, has always been how are we going to look in that moment in the playoffs? Are we going to be peaking at the right time? I think for us, it's about peaking in the playoffs, late in the playoffs especially, because it's, if you peak in the middle of the season, you're not going to win a championship, right? Unless you continue with that peak the whole year and no one else catches up to you. But um, I think we definitely were happy with where the team was at. We were excited because we definitely knew we could do it. Um, but we, we took it as kind of like a we had to trust the process a little bit and start from you know the very beginning again. And, and it, it's a whole new team, right? So that trust that we had formed the year before, we had two guys leave our starting lineup that are yeah, two guys that leave the starting lineup that year. So you have to build all that trust up again with the new guys. I and mean, that takes a lot of time, right? So I think um, I, I think kudos to Gabe for, for you know creating that environment and um, allowing us to peak at the right times and have that trust formed throughout the year. So that at the right times we were peaking. Because at the end of the day, those two years, uh, I definitely could admit that we were peaking at the right time. We definitely peaked at, at, uh, at nationals and OUAs for sure. And how do you, as an athlete, like to approach that? Because I think coaches were really good about you know preaching the process and learning phases and it's okay to fail and be bad. But like as an athlete, when you really want to get it now, or maybe that game in November seems super important. Like how do you stay fired up with like staying patient without like crossing the line and becoming like complacent being like, Oh, it's, it's not February yet. I'll turn it on in February. Like how do you find the balance of knowing that it will pay off, but you don't have to be perfect right now? Yeah, I think, I think there's a little bit of a difference in being in the game in the moment versus in practice. Um, I definitely think that in the game, our mentality that we've developed as a team has been very centered around, around next point mentality. And, you know, we have the confidence that we're going to be able to get this done in practice. We are more centered around development and, and expecting high expectations, high standards. I think we're more intense about that kind of stuff in practice. And it's great because that's, that's where we need to learn. That's where you can make mistakes and there's no repercussions. Right. Um, so I think, not necessarily, we're not necessarily being complacent in that situation. We're more just, um, we're, we, we're, we're expecting that early on, we're going to have to form these, these new, uh, connections with each of the new teammates. Um, and we're going to, that's going to take some time, but I think in a technical aspect in practices, we're still always pushing to be better, always, you know, expecting the highest standards from each other. And I think that alone pushes our environment to be better every single day, which allows us to be able to peak with the skills phase of the game. Whereas the mentality stuff, the culture stuff, I think that stuff is, is it builds as the season goes on and you can kind of expect that's just going to get better and better as well. Nice. Nice. And just before we move on from Queens, uh, again, shout out to some friends of the show. Uh, somebody had told me they're not a hundred percent sure, but they think you might be the best Wallace player to ever graduate from Queens university. So I got to know what, what is the strategy? Uh, I understood during your years, there was a ranking in the team room. Like you kind of know where you stood, like, why was the warm up game? Is that just your competitive nature that you want to win absolutely everything? Or was this just the most fun drill to you and you're going to dominate? I think, yeah, the competitive nature in me is, Pretty intense. I, I I hate losing. I'll admit it. I just I hate. I can't. I I mean I can take losing well, but I just I just don't like losing. So I think that that motivates me in any competition I play. I think anyone can say can kind of vouch for that. Like no matter what I'm playing, whether it's Wallace or Fukuhara or the national final or the OUA championship, I'm going to be competing at my absolute best 
I think that's what helped me develop as an athlete too, especially like I said, going from a, a non like pretty much a non recruited player in an ATU you know, club to moving on to like being you know a, a, a get to where I was at, 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 with Queens. I think it was just my competitive nature and always like wanting to win and always wanting to be better than I currently am. And I think that helped me develop my skills and my personality at Queens for sure. Now to jump forward a little bit, uh, I, I mean, COVID was terrible for, for so many layers in so many areas, but especially sport and the OUA gets canceled, but, uh, they found a way to make the NEP and make it safe. So obviously like a pretty stacked group there and you get an opportunity to go train, uh, with Dan Lewis and some other people. What was it like when you got the invite to go be a part of the national team program? Uh, I was ecstatic. I was extremely excited that I had this opportunity. I, I look, Dan's another player that I looked up to a lot growing up. I mean, I've watched him with the national team lots. Um, his reception and defense side phase of the game is just unbelievable. So that's something that I definitely looked up to and I was excited to work with him. Um, and then obviously getting the chance to work with guys that are at the highest level, right? Like that's, that's an opportunity you definitely don't want to pass up. And I, yeah, I was super excited. Uh, I knew some of the guys going in cause I played FISU with them before. Um, but, uh, yeah, I definitely was really excited about the opportunity and, I think that it definitely helped me grow as a player, as a receiver, especially because of the Dan, working with Dan Lewis, he's so focused on the reception side of the game and the defense side of the game that that, that part of my game definitely flourished through that, through that experience. And just being able to compete at the highest level was just, was awesome, especially with my competitive nature. I just, I thoroughly enjoyed the whole experience. Yeah. Sorry. I, I skipped over Fisu before we get to that. Uh, I am curious. I think your NEP year, you had teammates like Dax and I think Sixna was there, but then there was also like rivals, like some Mac guys and, and Sam Cooper and some other people. But then there was also like, I think Daniel uh, Jansen Van Dorn was there or Finn was there, like some guys who had played 18 before. So what was it like the mix? Like, is it all we, we play for Canada and it's awesome? Or was there any like awkward hellos there? Or like, oh, I can't believe I'm around this guy or in a drill with this guy. Like, how did you get over like the rivalries or getting to know some of the, the 18 guys that maybe you looked up to? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. I mean, right out, obviously at the start when you don't know people certain, like if you're not as comfortable around people that you've been around before, um, it's going to be a bit awkward at the start, but I, I don't think, especially with guys, I, I'm pretty good friends with the Mac guys and stuff, even like, uh, outside of the volleyball court, like we're pretty good buddies. So I think like I've, I've played with those guys before, like I said, and that, those relationships were the same. Um, but yeah, getting a chance to play with guys that are, that have been at that next level is extremely like exciting and cool. Um, especially playing with a guy like TJ, who, um, I mean, that, that experience was awesome. Just seeing how he, his, his mentality on the game and how he trained and, um, seeing like what the next level kind of is, right. Cause it's, you don't really get to see it in person until you're training in that environment with, let's say a drill where you have, uh, you know, TJ setting Jansen Van Doren against Van Burkle. And you're like, wow, this is kind of what it's like next level and you just it's just totally different but it's, it was super cool uh, i learned a ton and i think that yeah, i'm just happy that i got to make those relationships because yeah I, I mean at the end of the day the volleyball part's great but i think just developing those relationships with those guys and keeping in touch with those guys is awesome too yeah if you had to describe it what was different or what kind of got your attention about like their level of intensity or their consistency because obviously you're coming from a top tier youth sports program and you've had great coaches but like you said you get exposed to a tj sanders or a dan lewis and all of a sudden it's like oh that's what a professional does like was there anything that stood out that you're like i need to add this to my game right away whether it was what time you show up at the gym or do you start keeping a journal or what were some little things that you picked up yeah, I definitely think that all of what you said is, is relevant, right? They, these guys, they, they show up, they show up half an hour to 45 minutes before a session. They're rolling out, they're, they're fixing their tweaks. They're, you know, 
they're getting their shoulders prepped. They're, you know, all these little things that you don't even really think about. And I, I think in our environment at Queens, we do a great job of, of getting our bodies prepared for practice. We have a pretty extensive uh, warm up and cool down, um, stuff like that. But just like other, like this extra stuff guys are doing on, on the side that you don't even see. These guys are doing like, let's say planks before they get their core engaged and they're doing, you know, different exercises to get their knees going and, and all that stuff paired with their extreme focus during the session and their, their expectations are even higher than I can even imagine. Right. They, they, there's been balls where I, I hit off TJ and I was like, that was a perfect set. And he was like, no, 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 that was not good. I can do better. And I'm like, how can you even do like, I don't understand how you can be better than that, but he just, he, he expects himself to be even higher level standard than you can even imagine. So I think that level of focus and expectation something that I definitely took away. And I think the, the preparedness that they had for practices and I mean, we didn't really get a chance to play many matches, but we had inner squad matches where like they, they just came fully prepared and they were expecting to, to dominate. And that's kind of what they did. So. And what stands out uh, from Dan Lewis? I love a good Dan Lewis story. One of my favorite just by doing the show is uh, Joey Jarvis's FTC year. Dan stopped the drill and he didn't get on the guy who was like fumbling through the drill. He got on the group being like, are you going to let him get away with this? Like, why is no one else speaking up? Why do I have to stop the drill? And he was such a culture guy being like, this shouldn't be acceptable to the guys beside him. So you need to either find a way to get him switched on or support him, but we can't just like ignore the problem. Right. So uh, I know you mentioned like the defense and the receive, but was there any cultural things you took away from Dan Lewis? Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a great example you mentioned there. It's something that he brought up a lot. It was like, how can this be acceptable in this environment? He, he would always talk about a high level expectation, like I said. And like you said, he would stop drills multiple times being like, guys, you're really going to accept this? And I mean, there were choice words, but uh, <laughs> uh, like, this is the level that we're going to be accepting in this gym. He's like, if we're doing that, I'm, we're, done. Like, we're not practicing. So I think the biggest takeaway from Dan outside of the skill aspect was, was the mentality of being like, we need to be absolutely perfect. Because in another, like another thing he's talking about is like, do you think that other countries that are out there are, are accepting this kind of stuff? So he was, he always like pinned on like, okay, we're not, if we're expecting accepting that, then okay, we're behind on these other teams like Russia or, or like Brazil, who are just top teams in the, in the world that are not accepting, uh, accepting this stuff. Right. So I think a lot of the times he would, he would use it as an example and then bring it back to like, we need to be able to beat these teams, which aren't going to let that fly. So how can we make this happen? So I think that was a big, big running moment for me for sure. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, sorry to get my years mixed up, but to go back to FISU, uh, every once in a while it changes, whether it's a tryout or a selection or, or an invite, uh, what was the process to make your squad? I understand Dave Preston was the coach that year, right? Yeah. Dave Preston was the coach, uh, James Grubel and Graham Wilson were the assistants. I think that year was, uh, mostly they selected the team and they kind of reached out to the guys who they were, they wanted on the, on the roster. And then I think that it was just a decision that you had to make as an athlete because it was quite expensive to participate in that event, whether you could manage that or, or wanted to, or maybe you had stuff going on that summer and stuff. But yeah, that experience is awesome. Getting, being able to see how other teams train through their coaching staff and the athletes was great. And I think that that year specifically, um, they, it seemed like they brought a lot of guys in that were very culture driven, culture pieces, like a lot of different captains from different teams and guys that, they just knew that we're going to gel well quickly because in that FISU setting, we have two weeks, two and a half weeks to train as a team before we head over to that year was in Italy. And we have to be able to form, like I, like I talked about before, this trust and these relationships in a two week span when normally for other teams, you're doing it in a full year, maybe eight months. Right. So I think that they did a great job putting that team together in the sense of the guys they selected with all the culture pieces they selected. And I think that, 
helped us be successful at that event because we were so, like I said, we were so we trusted each other. We were so confident in each other's abilities. Stuff like that. And were you able to take anything away from that FISU experience and bring it back to your team at Queens, whether it was international style of play or something you had learned or just like stressing to your teammates, like, guys, we got to be better because like we just played across the net from top internationals. And like, it, it's different. Like a university player from Italy is maybe, maybe they're trained different or maybe they have a different mentality. Like, was there anything you could steal from that tournament? I, I definitely think a few things for sure. I think um, ball speed, like the way they swing at the ball and the way they serve was just crazy. Um, I think that for me, that was a big eye opener. Like these guys hit the ball hard. You think we hit the ball hard? No, these guys hit the ball way harder. Their mechanics are so much better. Um, I think another thing that I learned from that experience was how much of the middle of the court that these guys run. Um, these other teams, and even us too, we were running a lot of middle, middle, middle of the court, middle pipe combinations pretty much whenever you can. And I think that that because of the efficiencies of those two, those two plays, I think that's just, it just makes sense, especially at that level when you got, these freaks in the middle and these guys who can fly out of the pipe. Um, so I think that's definitely, those are the two biggest takeaways for me was just like the middle of the pipe or the middle of the court offense and just how hard these guys get the ball. Cause like at the end of the day, that's like, that's really what I think is was separating us at that point in time. Nice. And I think that's a good point by you. That's something that I has evolved in my mind through the OUA where you mentioned like you're watching nationals in 2012 and yeah, Trinity and a few other teams. Like I think everybody had a pipe option, but it wasn't as fast as it is now, even at like mid tier teams in every division, I think are running a really fast pipe. So is that something you really enjoy as an athletic guy coming out of the back row? Like how much time and practice are you investing in that to get a connection? Because it is a pretty unique set. But like I said, I think if you don't hit a pipe, you're at a disadvantage of the way the way the balls being played in U sports right now, right? I 100% agree. Yeah. I, I love the pipe option. <clears throat> that was probably my favorite and most efficient ball to hit uh, just because most of the time, especially if you have a fast middle option, you are, you're having like essentially a, at the most a block, maybe two blocks, depending on obviously teams keying on, they might pinch in a bit. Um, but I think for us, Zane and I pretty much growing through the system together, he was a couple years younger than me, but we, we kind of developed a connection in the pipe that was it was pretty crazy. He he was able to find me. I mean, we had we were talking pretty well with each other, but he was able to find me pretty much anywhere on the court. If I, if I said one word, he would be able to find me. No matter where I went, no matter which route I was running, he could find me in the back row. I think that was a big uh, key factor to our success was Zane's ability to just find this pipe option no matter where on the court he was. I think that gave us an extra zone to hit at, and I think that was a big reason why we had that success in that, that fourth year of my career. Yeah, just for some of our younger listeners who might be perking up right now, when you say find you, like at Queens, was it a moving pipe? Like say Zane's closer to the five side, would you shift up the one six seam? Or like what gap are you typically attacking? Because it is so fast that you have to be clear where you're going. But what was the clear objective you knew where to attack and he could find you? Yeah, I think our team that year simplified it to more of just either a straight pipe. So that's a pipe that the, the middle is running a 30 option and our kind of pipe comes straight up the middle. Um, and then there's a push pipe where we have our middle coming 50 or 60 and then the pipes pushed over the middle. Um, that was probably our most efficient pipe that year because our middle option was so fast that teams would have to commit with it. And if they committed, then I was, I had a no block or one block and I was pretty confident in those situations. And then the other option we had was always an audible back. So anytime Zane was pushed forward, um, it doesn't matter whether the middle was 50 or 30, I would audible behind him and he would just kind of tee up for me over over the back of his shoulder and I had like a, another gap to attack at through the gap. So I, I just think that because we had played with two so much, we both had a great understanding of, I didn't really need to say anything. If he was in a certain spot, he just knew 
depending on what he was running, that I was going to be there and that he could set that ball. And we both had the trust that I would be there and he would also set me a great ball. And I think that connection that we developed and, uh, was, was awesome. I think we, we, we matched really well together. Yeah, so cool to hear. And I know you were already involved coaching youth, but uh, with you still at Queens uh, working on your masters there, what was it like to start coaching the guys? Like, obviously, you were a leader on the team and you already had a voice, but was there anything extra you had to do to feel like as a coach, they were going to trust you and, and you could give them feedback? Or like I said, because you were an upperclassman and just transferred into the coaching role, were you comfortable right away? I was pretty comfortable right away. Um, obviously, it's a different look completely being on the coaching staff versus being an athlete. I miss kind of being in those drills and, and it's different being in the drill and actually competing and then being on the sideline and having to give advice. Um, I think that because I've been a coach for so long in the club environment, I, I definitely had that side of me that I could, I could offer advice. And I think guys respected me enough and trusted me enough that I was offering the right advice and the advice that aligned with the other coaches and the coaching staff. Um, and I think, yeah, like I said, getting into that role is definitely a tough transition because I, I, I miss the, the play so much, but I think there was a level of respect and trust there that guys knew that what I was saying was of value and that I was just trying to help them out at the end of the day. Like I said, it's a, we have a brotherhood here and that, uh, that goes a long way, I think, with, with trust and respect. Amazing, man. It's been so cool to hear about your career and get the behind the scenes. I, I know you're a busy guy, so I won't take up much uh, more of your time here. But one tradition we built into the show is just to tell a funny or unique story. So obviously you're a guy who chipped away in the club scene, became a top level OUA guy. You've already played for Canada. But man, something odd or unique must have happened along the way. So I was hoping you could share a funny story before we let you go. Yeah, uh, I would say a funny story that I had happened, which was, I mean, it was uh, during our FISU uh, year, I was, we were traveling to Italy. Um, there was a situation where um, our middle, George Hoburn, he was ahead of me in the, in the security checkout, or the security line there going to the plane. And he had all of his stuff kind of all over the place because he had a lot of bunch of stuff in his bag, you know, a laptop, whatever, an iPad, all this stuff. And he, when he was leaving security, he had happened to leave his MacBook in the security line. Um, so obviously I was like, I'm going to take that and bring it back to him. But I, a bunch of the guys that were around thought it was a good idea to pull a little prank on him and not, not let him know that one of us had the laptop. So, um, as we were walking back, he was the first one to go through as we were walking back to the to the gate there, he, he starts sprinting by us. He's, he's full sweat. He's su super rattled. He's like, where's my laptop? Have you guys seen my laptop? We're all like, no, like, we don't know where it is. Like it might, might've been at security. Like why go check? And it was a long way to the security gate. Like it was a good. I would say a good two or three minute job. He was like to get back there. And so he's running back. He runs by us again towards the gates. Like, I don't know where it is. Like, I need to find it. I, I don't know. And we're like, I don't know, man. Like maybe you left it by your bag. Like uh, it's a, he's running back and forth. And then finally I'm, I'm kind of just go to the gate at this point. Cause I'm just walking casually trying not to say much. It's in my backpack and he comes up behind me and he just kind of puts his arm around me. He goes, Hey buddy, a little birdie told me that you got something of mine. <laughs> I was like, uh, oh, yeah, who told you that? He's like, oh, I don't know, but I'm not going to need that from you. So anyways, he ended up figuring it out. But it was, it was kind of a funny prank to play on the guy right before we had a, what, what was it, an eight-hour flight, I guess. But I just wanted to make sure that he definitely got his laptop back. So I was like, if I take it, at least I know it's going to get back to him. But uh, it was kind of funny seeing him struggle a little bit there in the, in the security line. But. For sure. And he's, he's a big dude. I wouldn't have held out as long as you did. I probably would have folded up after the first time he ran by, but for you guys to let him panic for a good 10 minutes there, that was, uh, that was pretty gutsy. Oh yeah, definitely. He's a huge guy. He, he's, he's big, strong guy. So I was a little bit worried, but I, I know Jordan, he's a great guy. So I knew that he would take it, he would take it well. And it was, 
it was a good laughing moment for us throughout the, the trip too. But yeah. Well, great, man. I, I know you got meetings and obviously you're busy with your schoolwork. So thanks for uh, blocking out a little bit of time here so we could learn more about your career. And I appreciate everything you shared today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to, uh, to hearing all about it and stuff. That's great.